Welcome to Technado. Hey there, everyone, and welcome back to the Technado. As I like to say, the techiest of all NATOs. My favorite NATO, in fact. And today is no exception. We got some great articles for you out there. We got some great tech news. We've also got some security news. You know, my personal fan favorite, because that's kind of what I do. Here's the thing. You're probably going, where the hell is Sophia? Why is she not introing this show, Daniel? We don't, you know, that's not your job. Here's the thing. She's at Black Hat. She's at Black Hat. I did not go to Black Hat this year. Well, you know, these things happen. She got to go. I'm not bitter at all. Don't take it that way. But uh, also, Don is not here. That means... I get to run the show. I get to do it my way. We're going to have a lot of fun. I've got one Mr. Anthony Sequera to my right. Anthony, thank you for joining me today. Yes, love being on Technado. Thanks for having me. No, what's your favorite part about Technado? Oh my gosh, the tech news. Are you kidding me? Cutting edge. He likes it. It's fun. (laughs) (laughs) And not to be outdone... We also have a one Mr. Wes Bryan joining us in the studio. Wes, hey, how goes man. it, sir? Thanks for having me here, man. Always a pleasure to be on Technado. Well, you know I did threaten your life. So. That, well, <laughs> hey, everybody's got to have a hobby. Yeah, that, you that just happens to be yours. I was like, Wes, you better get in that studio. I don't know what you're thinking about, but I'm going to need you. <laughs> <laughs> you know those favors you owe me? <laughs> I'm calling them in. That's right. That's but there we go. That's right. So that is the Technado cast for today. So it ought to be interesting. It ought to be fun. Before we get too far down the rabbit hole, I want to make sure to remind you that the Technado is brought to you by ACI Learning. Our good folks at ACI Learning and IT Pro, we like to get you trained up. So if you need some training for audit, cyber, or IT, ACI Learning has got you squared away. We've got over 7,000 hours. I know that's a big number. It would seem impossible. Uh, uh, It just doesn't seem real. But it is true. 7,000 hours of content in our training library. So you should definitely check that out. And if you get signed up, you can use the promo code TECHNATO30 for 30% off. How about them apples? Huh, what are you going to do with that? You're going to get 30% off. That's what you're going to do. So definitely head on over to ACILearning.com. Get signed up for a free account, no credit card required. You can see what we're all about, and maybe you see something you like and you can't live without, and you get all signed up for an actual program. There you go. ACI Learning, that's who sponsors the old Technado. All right, enough of that business. Let's get to the tech news, shall we? Our first article is coming by way of a verifying link. No, no, no. Slashdot, that's who it's coming from, slashdot.org. And it says Chrome OS is splitting the browser from getting more like Linux. That's the wrong article. I'm clicking wrong things. Why am I doing that? Because I'm crazy. (laughs) The first article is actually... Aha, Raspberry Pi availability is visibly improving after years of shortages. And this comes from Ars Technica. We do love Ars Technica around here. We're, they're going to get a little bit of love today, as a matter of fact. I think we've got a few uh, articles coming by way of Ars Technica. But hey, if they got the hot news, we're going to go to them as a resource. So, boys, have you been languishing in a Raspberry Pi jail, just praying to the Raspberry gods that they would descend from heaven like manna? Yeah, I tell you what, I know why you uh, skipped this article, because you probably said, yeah, we'll believe it when we see it. Well, I actually rearranged the articles earlier. <laughs> well, we Forgot to do it in right. my notes. <laughs> so, you know, we've been, wait, what? So Raspberry 4 has been out for four years now, and uh, yeah. I haven't bothered to even try to buy one. You used to have a ton of Raspberry. I used to have a you? ton of them up until they weren't available anymore. Or, or Now we know why. <laughs> right. Wes was buying them all. That's right. <laughs> Yeah, uh, or the uh, you know the price gouging that was going on. That that to me was so. The big thing. Was it price gouging or was it supply and demand? Supply and demand. Yeah, it absolutely is. Yeah. But we're seeing the supplies come back up, and some of the prices are staying the same. So 
Now that's I Prescott. go back to yeah, my original. There you go. Maybe not initially with supply and demand, but I'm not paying you know 165 dollars for something that we you know four years ago we could pay 35 bucks for. Yeah, that I, is crazy. I went up to uh, for the first time Pie Hut. Thanks mm-hmm. to this Pie article. Hut. I like Pie Hut. Yeah. Yeah. A great it name. sounds like a pizza joint. It does. It's got a pizza. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So I went up there and a complete kit of this Raspberry Pi 4 was like 350 bucks. Does that sound right? No. No, 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 no it does not. High. By the way, I must admit, if it wasn't clear already, I have never purchased or played You've with never a Raspberry, done a Raspberry Pi. Pi 4? Never went down that little oh, rabbit well, hole. Son, we got to fix that. Yeah, most definitely. You know, I had a Raspberry Pi 3. I, I didn't buy the 4, and, yeah. and for obvious reasons. I have a 4. Do you have a 4? Yeah, a four. I had a 3. And a 0 W. Uh, yeah, right. And I got two. a couple of the older versions. Zero two w that's what I Oh, mean. there you yeah. go. And uh, I, I remember, in, in fact, I remember buying that breakout you remember dan i bought that breakout thing for it right so that whole package enclosure and a breakout kit which had about 80 pieces now Mm -hmm. understand a single capacitor is yeah piece a little bit was i want to say under 60 bucks yeah for everything it used to be awesome right so 300 dollars. holy cow yeah no that's a lot of money yeah yeah Yeah, for a single pie board and then so i actually contemplated a lot should i sell my Raspi 4 you know because yeah yeah, sometimes i so i was using it for a pie hole for a while i'm thinking about actually like sending it back that way but it's a project thing right Mm -hmm. it's it's for doing random fun little projects that you find on the internet you can do all sorts of crazy things with raspberry pies like build smart screens you know do retro gaming consoles uh do home automation it's just like it's infinite in its capabilities, which is why they were so popular. And then, of course, we started running into chip shortages due to some turbulent uh, political things happening around the uh, Southeast Asian area. And therefore, chips were not as readily available. And, of course, you know, uh, car manufacturers were suffering the hurt from that. And Raspies were another one that took a big hit. And it started to drive the price up because they couldn't fill demand. They could not fill, fulfill all the orders for Raspberry Pis, there was so much demand for it. So what they were doing was they were focusing on making enough Raspberry Pis for uh, commercial know, commercial mm-hmm. products, yep. right? Yep. Oh, I use, a, I use a Raspberry Pi in this commercial product, therefore I kind of get preferential treatment from the organization that creates Raspberry Pis. Well, that leads leaves us, the little guy out there, going, well, I, I want to do some home automation products or, or projects. I want to do all these cool things. We were kind of left you know, swinging in the wind going, Hey, what, what about me? And they're like, well, there's eBay. You go to get on yeah. that eBay, get on Facebook marketplace and get you one. I'm like, yeah, but they're like 200 bucks now. And that doesn't seem like I could go buy like a nuck for that. <laughs> you know, what, what, what's the purpose of a raspberry at that point? You know, other than the GPIO, all the, all well, the input output stuff. Absolutely. Well, that kind of brings us back to one of the things that the article mentioned, too. If you're going to charge me $300 for this little Raz Pi, why wouldn't I just go get a repurposed or discarded thin client? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Right. Why not? A thin client's got That's everything I need. Yeah. Right. I, mean, I, I yeah. love Linux, but I just never thought about this form factor, never wanted to play with it. But oh, a yeah. I, then I, again, I, at the price point of $30, that it looks real attractive. Yeah. And it was. So I think when I bought, I bought a Vilross. Uh, set complete set. Mm-hmm. I want to say that ran maybe seventy bucks. That was with a case. That was with fans. That was with you know uh, power cables. It came with just about everything, mm-hmm. and uh, other than a screen and a keyboard and a mouse. You know that that was the only th- options I did not get. And building a pie hole was great because you start to see how much all your 
home devices are phoning home with a bunch of information about you. So explain pie hole. I have not heard that one. So a pie hole is basically a DNS sinkhole. Ah, okay. Right? So it takes over DNS for your home network. Yep. You just tell all your, you know, DHCP, hey, give this as the uh, IP address for DNS yep. to all my devices, and they gladly accept that action. And then Piehole goes, so I got this list of stuff I don't want you to go to, and I'm just going to kind of sinkhole that off into nowhere land. Mm. You're going to think you got there, but you're not really getting there, right? And then everything else is just going to kind of goes where it needs to go. So all your smart TVs and your Alexas and your Google Dots and all these other things that are in your house, they are sending massive amounts of data. So I kind of went down this piracy, or piracy, privacy, not piracy. <laughs> I went down a privacy rabbit hole to make sure I enunciate that correctly. And I was like, oh, wow. And I, I was you know looking at all the logs and the traffic uh, that was going through my network. And I was like, oh, this is kind of sick. I don't like this. And I found out real quick that your phone doesn't like being told not to use other DNSs than what it, it's told by your provider to use. Yep. So it can be kind of a pain in the butt to get it to switch over to a different DNS provider. And yeah, so really interesting. But it took 15 minutes to get it set up, install the operating system, install Pi-hole, sit it on your network, fix DHCP so that it sends that out. And you're done. Boom. And then you just have to go in there every so often. Some people do it really religiously and they uh, check like daily or twice a day for updates to those lists that you can go and find. Brings me uh, back to the days of the channel. updated host files that you needed to download yeah. every once in a while. Right. Sure. But yeah. yeah, it's a maintaining that list. That's it. You know, one of the things I'd like to touch on that the article mentioned, too, and the reason I'm not getting so excited about this article uh, as far as what it says. I mean, it's great, but there, you know, this conveyor belt stopped. Right. As yeah. far as these, uh, you know, so think about it. If And it talks about how the production of the, the CEO here um, mentioned what Eben Upton, he said, you know, we, we were making these hundreds of thousands of uh, we're still making hundreds of thousands a month, you know, of these pies, but RAS pies. But like you said, they were going to these commercial developers. Well, let's say and they're now they're saying, oh, they're going to go from 400,000 to 600,000 to 800,000. Now so we like got a this million, million, right? Yeah. Right. Well, millions, a nice number. How many of those millions are on back orders? So they, before I can get one right. now, and yeah. they said that that was to fulfill those backward. Sure. And they said that they'll continue creating them at a million pace right. until it gets back to standard, right? Where you can just right buy you know Raspberry Pis at the normal prices. Uh, I really like the Raspberry Zero, and they do say though, as long as that pace is for as long as that pace is sustainable. Well, yeah, obviously. So, you know what I mean, I'm that, saying? So that's a given. That's a, that's a lot of talk. <laughs> yeah. Right? Um, and before I'm happy about what I might be able to get, mm -hmm. I need to see them get past those back orders. Or West, we're just right back to West, the same thing. Wes finds them to be dubious. I do. <laughs> I like the word dubious, by the way. <laughs> it's just a fun word to say. <laughs> dubious, right. my dear Watson. <laughs> All right. Well, there you go. If you've been languishing over uh, not having Raspberry Pis, maybe very, very soon. Maybe not. You never know. <laughs> they are apparently working on some plan to get you a Raspberry Pi. All right, now let's go to the article I tried to show you before. Our next article, which does come from Slashdot, which is Chrome OS is splitting from the browser, or splitting the browser from the OS, getting more like Linux. You're speaking my language, Chrome. How'd you know? You just know me. You just know me. No, you hang up. No, you, right? <laughs> so uh, any of you boys got Chrome uh, books running around the house? 
Uh, yeah, yeah, I got two, and I got Chrome OS Flex uh, for an old discarded PC to repurpose it, too. Nice, nice. Mm-hmm. Remind me on Chrome OS Flex, because I uh, read about that in the article and then didn't research it. What is that? It, all it is, so it's another version of the Chrome OS, the operating yeah. system that doesn't come pre-installed on Chromebooks, but if I have a PC, like for instance, you know, I've got a bunch, a, a few of these old Dell um, Optiplexes, right? Mm-hmm. And they, they're not going to uh, install Windows 10 uh, or Windows 11 at all. They don't even support it, right? It's not even supported by Windows 11, but I still want to get some functionality of it uh right so i can go up and i can download if i have an enterprise agreement which i kind of do i can download uh, chrome os flex and then i can install it on some of those devices and i can repurpose them yeah i got a bunch of old laptops laying around and that can be like a a zero cost alternative to putting maybe like a linux light on there or something and just Give it to the kids and say, "Here you go, bang away. Who cares if you break it or whatever?" Yeah, that's great. yeah. I've, I've got to I got to admit to an open mouth insert foot moment, which I do a lot. You know, when it first came out, I was like, yeah. "Who the heck's gonna want this web browser stuff?" And oh, that's so basic. And I bought me one. <laughs> I was like, "This is actually kind of cool." If I only need to check email and I yeah. only need to check, like, say, the Google Doc, whatever the Google Suite is that you're using. It's awesome. Listen, my yeah. mom, she called me not too long ago. Was like, "I need a new laptop. Uh, I need your help buying one." I'm like. Do you do any kind of like intensive spreadsheeting or building PowerPoints with a lot of animations and things like that? She's like, no. I'm like, what don't you do that's basically online? She's like, mm. I'm like, probably nothing. Sure. Yeah, just go buy a Chromebook. Sure. Just go buy the Chromebook that you like the best. And save yourself a bunch of money. Absolutely. Let me give you another, you know, because I'm working on some endpoint administration uh, concepts too. And what I like about it is I have a web browser. Most of the stuff that we do in the cloud, I only need a web browser. So, I mean, it makes it even more functional from that aspect, you know. And you have any Chrome OS? I do, yeah. But actually, it's really funny. So, my old Chromebook that I got for $150 still cannot believe I paid $150 for this beautiful HP piece of equipment. I actually scrubbed Chrome OS off it and put on, uh, boy, I'm going to forget the name now because the studio lights are on, but it is a version of Linux designed oh. for Chromebooks. Well, I mean, nice. Chrome, That's Chrome, nice. Chrome is is a version of Linux, if right, I'm not right, mistaken. Right. Right. Chrome OS is. Yep, well, I mean, that brings us to the article, right? Because we were kind of dancing around this, oh, sure. this subject yeah. is that they're splitting the operating system, Chrome OS, from the browser. So apparently the, the deal is right now, and th- this isn't... A, let's start here. This is not like the gospel mm-hmm. from Google that this is happening. It just sure. seems like we're seeing a lot of signs on the horizon that this is what is occurring, according to this article. There are flags that you can set and make this happen uh, if you want to kind of manually go in under the hood and make this, make this occur and get that split uh, kind of ahead of time. But it seems like the writing is on the wall that this is what's going to occur down the road. And what that means is, is that the binary package that you get that is Chrome OS has within it bundled the the browser itself, the Chrome browser as well. So what they're going to do is they're going to break these two things into two separate binaries, and there's a lot of pros to doing that. A, if I need to update the operating system, I don't have to touch my browser. And if I want to update my browser, I don't have to touch my operating system. So I can have different uh, update cycles for those two products. And a lot of people seem to find that to be... because. Okay, so I need to update my Chrome OS. That means I have to reboot the entire machine, and it's also updating my browser. And maybe that breaks something, especially if you're a developer. That might be, you know, now you got to start developing for the new version of whatever. That can definitely cause some issues, I guess. Um, but ultimately, that's what I was re- reading about why we would want to do this, is to get those separate things. And then if that does occur, 
you no longer use the bespoke or the, the purposely built browser, Chrome browser, for Chrome OS, they will now start using the Linux-based Chrome OS. It's still Chrome, or not oh, Chrome OS, Chrome browser. It's still Chrome. You still get all the bells and whistles. It's just now the, the Linux version of Chrome on your now more Linuxy like Chrome OS. It just seems like they're going to be Linux at this point. <laughs> what, what browser are you required to use in a Linux operating system? Whatever you want. Exactly. Yeah. And that's, yeah, definitely. So I, I definitely see why they would split it up. And, uh, you know, if you have to manage and administer to these stuff, these these devices, um, they, they update really quick, but they update in a single package, which is kind of interesting. Yeah. Right. You know. I think this is great news. Mm -hmm. I mean, really. One of the things I was thinking about was us, which would be advanced users, right? Yeah. We're going to, the last thing we need is another browser, right? Mm -hmm. So you mm -hmm. don't want this weird yeah. Chrome browser. What do you use, by the way? For a browser? For just like, like what's your day driver? Yeah. It is Chrome. You? Edge. Edge? Yep. I went which to Edge. Which is a Chromium-based browser. Once yeah. they went to Chromium-based browser, I switched yeah. over, and it's yeah, essentially, yeah, yeah, yeah. to me, it's like running Chrome. But it's into it's yeah. not completely now. Yeah. There but are from my interface, I switched over up to like four months ago, and I yeah. haven't looked back. Yeah? Yeah. And I, that's just because of the space that I work in. Let's say, now let's let, let, let's change it up a little bit. I also do content like working in the Google uh, Workspace admin console. Well, if I'm in there, chances are I'm probably going to want to use their browser yeah. <laughs> to manage their yeah. stuff. Yeah, you would think that it would work a little bit better. Uh, right, right but, but I'm just happen to be in the Microsoft space a lot, so, so that's why I'm makes using sense. that. Yeah. yeah, and I'm a yeah. Firefox guy because I think- You're in the Linux space a lot. Linux sure, stuff. absolutely. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Yep. interesting stuff. You guys, I, I thought you were going to bring up the LaCroix <laughs> oh no a absolutely sparkly I just, drink no, i i actually i looked at this and i was, <laughs> I was telling dan i was like i couldn't just stop from thinking lactose intolerant lactose intolerant <laughs> yeah but so this is linux and chrome os this is what we're talking yes about. definitely like, what yes yeah what is this it's the code name is uh right. and what is it called lacrose i think is lacrose i think linux and chrome os is linux what it's short chrome for OS. yeah yeah and, and this will be the new like name for Chrome OS. Yeah, and if you those flags you were talking about, if you turn that flag on, then what's going to happen is the new's going to come in and the old's going to be sundown. Right. So that new browser for Linux is what you're going to use, and the Chrome OS browser that was kind of built in, or the Chrome browser for Chrome OS. Let's get that right. Is going to be kind of just move, just move silently out of the operating. They system need the to give it a new name because me saying Chrome OS and Chrome browser, yeah, in the same word, like technically Chrome browser is just called Chrome. Right, right, right. And then you have Chrome OS. So you're just like, Chrome OS. Chrome, no, not OS, Chrome. No, Chrome OS, no, is it Chrome? Yeah. You see where I'm going with this? It's kind of a pain. Mm -hmm. So I need something different. It's a little too similar for me. I will tell you, though, from an administrative standpoint, when you do things like remote wipes on those, I think they call them power washes. I mean, it's the same principle of a remote wipe. It's same kind of actions and procedures that are going on. It happens quick. Yeah. Like I, I've, uh, I think I, Anthony, I showed you one day where I did a, I, maybe I didn't, but I, I, sh I did a remote power wash. And because of the fact that the operating system is already stripped down enough, it was done in like two minutes, three yeah. minutes, and you're ready to log in. So now why, why do I mention this? Well, the point is now that you're separated these binaries, you reduce the complexity of a power wash and the administration. I mean, it's already simplified enough but again if you're doing this times a thousand devices if you have ed education-based work chrome os books yep. that you're deploying in an academic solution you can see that now that you're stripping soft some of that stuff that was required yeah. in the original binary is not there anymore then maybe even your administration deployment gets I, I did just read that the um users probably won't notice anything 
But this is a different article, but, mm-hmm. but it's about the same thing. Um, it says, this, fe- but the future should make it easier to update Chrome OS and might extend the life of old Chrome OS devices. So that would be cool because, you know, Chrome OS is, uh, I think they've, well, you know what? I think this is a perfect segue into our next article, yes. which is from Ars Technica. And it says, absurd Google Amazon rebuked over unsupported Chromebooks still for sale. So, I mean, that seems interesting. So you're telling me I've got unsupported Chromebooks that are still for sale. And when we say, I'm not talking about Craigslist here. I'm not talking about Facebook Marketplace still for sale. I'm talking about Amazon, Walmart, like heavy hitters in the marketing space of the internet. They are selling laptops, Chromebooks, not laptops, Chromebooks that are either at end of life, past end of life, or getting ready to be at end of life, right? You know what I mean? It's like, and there's, they're not saying anything. They're not being like, by the way, this is sundowning and like, you got like 47 minutes <laughs> uh, before the ticking clock makes this completely unusable. And, and what you're saying here, because I buy last generation stuff. I bought right. a MacBook uh, that way, because right. I or not a MacBook, excuse me, uh, a Mac mini, because I wanted to learn the operating yeah. system. I told you about that Dell Optiplex. Mm-hmm. What's the difference? I go up there and it says, hey, refurbished. Yeah. Right. Well, these aren't refurbished. Ah, so yeah. now they... Yeah. These are brand new stock. Buy your brand new out-of-date Chrome or Which, not supported Chromebook. Right. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Says, it says Google wow. was pleased to extend the lifetime of Chromebooks set to expire at the end of this June and throughout the summer. 13 Chromebook models have met their death since yeah. June 1st and won't receive security updates or new features from Google anymore. And one of those that was... That was uh, end of life, right? Was, was yours? No. <laughs> I was going to say it was the one I bought. <laughs> yeah. But it was it was September 2019, so that is not that long ago. No, it's not that long. Definitely, ago. you know. All right. Surprised when you buy that thing and learn no more. Help updates. me out with another scenario. I threw another scenario. Yeah. If I say it's refurbished, well, I know it's yesterday. Right. But you're not telling me that. You're telling me buy this brand new yeah. thing. So right. if I'm Absolutely. a parent right now, I know you've yeah. got you've got kids. Where I've got kids where they're all getting ready to go back to school at the time that we're recording this. So if I'm a parent and I'm looking for that brand new Chromebook and I'm going to save me some money, right? Because I'm going to get that Chromebook and I get it, right? Well, plus, you know your kid is going to like throw it down a sewer. Oh, oh, absolutely. <laughs> it's going to take a cartwheel at 30 miles an hour down yeah. the street, right? But the, the point being is now I've got this brand new Chromebook. We are going to start school this week. And it's there's no support. Right. Yeah. Ah, that's a big good. deal. Well, well, and, and you've just wasted, as a parent, you just wasted a bunch you just of wasted money. You through it. Yeah. yeah. And think of, we do and, enough of that as parents, by I the think way. this article <laughs> did bring this up, is that like, Think about the schools that purchase yes. tons, twenty thousand units, yeah, of Chromebooks for the students as in-desk laptops for them. I didn't even think about that. One parent yeah. might be out a couple hundred yeah. dollars, but you might have an academic institution that just bought two thousand, right. three thousand, ten thousand of those things, and Re- they're not ready supported. for this one. Ready? Where did they get that money to buy them Chromebooks? Your tax money, oh, right? So now, okay, cool, I'm paying taxes to support schools, to make my schools better, to give my kids tools to help increase their educational experience. Uh, now, now we can't, what do you mean you can't use them? What are you, what are you, what are you trying to tell me here? We, we just bought a bunch of stuff and we can't use it because no one told you they were EOL? Come on, man, right? Tell me that doesn't, yeah. you know, get to, get to I'm, I'm on steps. We, we, talk, <laughs> we talked about this on, a, on an earlier Technado that it was on and, 
Daniel, you and I were talking about the price of Chromebooks and this, it kind of made me think of this. So, okay. They have a really short lifespan. Well, that probably made sense when they were real low cost devices, right? It's, oh, it's, so it's only going to last four to six years. Well, I spent under $200 on it. Who cares? Yeah. But some of these Chromebooks now are $1,800. So I'm sure that yeah, buyer that gets a little sick. didn't expect that thing no. to last only four years. Man, I'm, I'm going to, I don't want to be mean, but I am never going like, to spend $1,400 yeah, right? on something that. Oh, do, do, is it that mind blowing? No. Is that web browser faster? Yeah. That must yeah. be a very fast web browser. Yeah. It's Ooh. like, it's such a strange thing. There's $1,800 Chromebooks. That's like I, buying a Ferrari that all you do is go to the grocery store and back with it. Yeah. Like, and, and your grocery store is like Sunday driving. Yeah. Right? Very yeah. strange. Doesn't make any sense. Yeah. Nope. Sunday driving. Doesn't make any sense. Even if you're doing remote access, it doesn't make sense. I'm no, no. Average screen is going to be good enough for that. Right. And I, I want to bring up the, the fact that we, we might be sitting here thinking, well, come on, Google. Like, extend life. Like, give us longer. And they have done it in the past. They have been kind of chided for making the end of life for their their stuff a little too short. And they did increase the life on some certain stuff after getting a little too much backlash. But I think we also need to not forget about those marketplaces out there that are not telling us or doing any kind of diligence. We need to have Google tell them, hey, if you're selling our product... You need to be letting your customers know that this system might be end of life or close to it or near it or after it because this article says they were able to find on Amazon and other places uh, uh, Chromebooks that were past end of life. For now, sale is that Google as or Amazon's new. fault? That was, that's, the, that's the point. And, and I don't know. I, I don't have an answer. It seems to be a bit of both. Sure, sure. Right? Yeah. Like Google's responsibility would be to say, if you're selling our product, you need to be telling your customers that this is an end-of-life product at this point, and that's on you. Our diligence is to tell you to tell them. Yeah, sure, right? Is Absolutely. to be letting you know and making it very available. That seems to be a, a part of the problem is that it's a little bit of a it, – it's not like you go to Google's, you know, Google OS homepage or whatever, a Chromebook homepage at Google and go, oh, here's a bunch of end-of-life stuff. It's not glaringly it's, obvious at all. It's not standing all. you in the face. You're sure. not getting emails mm-hmm. from Google going, if you have these things – Google customer, you seem to have purchased one in the past. You are now at end of life. Or if you purchase something, that would be kind of, maybe maybe they could go down that road. Maybe if through like serial numbers and that kind of stuff, where you register your Chromebook once you buy it, and it will go, hey, buddy, that's end of life. Sure. And, and you can just do a return. And I think they got to do a little bit better not putting whisper print. And this doesn't even look like they're oh, putting yeah. any whisper print, right? Yeah. The fine print is what I mean by yeah. that. That's stuff we whisper. Yeah. You know, we New, 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 new. Yeah. Right, you know what I'm <laughs> yeah. saying. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, the whisper print needs to be a little bit more in your face, too. right? And there, there needs to be some mechanism on Amazon, on Walmart, on Newegg, wherever you're at, and you're getting these things that tells you. So this is when this was made, and according to Google, this I was just looking for that, Daniel. So yeah, it does I am, not exist. I am, yeah, I am at an Amazon sale page yeah. for a Chromebook. And I just wanted to, just out of curiosity, did they have the release date of this product? They do not. They I do mean, it's not. not even in the fine print. Yep. So what would a parent do? I would I mean, think that's, that Amazon will go, we'll buy or beware, right? Caveat yeah. emptor. Yeah. This is the onus is on you as the the buyer to make sure that you are buying something. That's not our problem. Yeah, okay. Maybe there's an argument to be had there. 
but it just seems shady as hell. It does. Sure. When you are not doing anything to help me make a purchase that I'm going to be happy with. And so, yeah, you might get me once. And then I go, Amazon don't care, right? They yeah. don't care. What are you going to do? You're going to go somewhere else? <laughs> Pashaw, I say. Right. Well, if they're the only suppliers, then for sure. You know, can you imagine? Because I know you worked for a big, pretty big company at one time. If you had 200 laptops deployed mm-hmm. to your company and you guys are ready to deploy those in the field and they say yeah or let's say it was dell yeah uh, dell says sorry these oh, it doesn't even say anything they, they show up and you say all right let's go ahead and update them and it you, you can't update any of them cool. can you imagine yeah i mean i i, I can't like well, what that would cause man yeah it would be flipping crazy yeah, yeah. there yeah. would be pandemonium and vps would be wanting our heads on a pike absolutely it's right. time to look we resume printing coming up (laughs) now that does beg the question kind of reaching back to our previous article is will chrome flex or the new lacrosse or lacrosse or whatever the hell it is lactose lactose intolerance yeah yeah yeah. right the lacroix (laughs) my sparkling os that i drink that's right lunch uh is that gonna like give me extended life on these yeah on these older laps so maybe if i did make these purchases maybe if i am a school with you know, 500 laptops sitting going, what are you going to do? I can't, it's not supported. Maybe now I can breathe new life into those. Mm-hmm. Maybe that would be a, uh, an option for us. I don't know. Food for thought. All right, boys, anything parting, anything left uh, you want to throw on this pile of burning? Read, read the fine print. Read the fine print. Yeah. You heard it here first. Or the lack thereof, apparently, according to this article. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, do a lot of research. Buyer beware, buyer beware. Buyer beware, buyer beware. <laughs> All right, well, that's going to do it for our tech news for today. A lot of Chrome stuff going on, but hey, you know what? So every now and then we got to get them in the news cycle, and they're doing stuff. Seems like some interesting things happening there. But stay tuned. We're going to take a small break. When we come back, we got that security news that we're going to get at, see what kind of horrible things have happened in the world. <laughs> Tired of trying to schedule your team's time around in-person learning? Isn't it a bummer to spend thousands of dollars on travel for professional development? What if we said you can save money and time and still provide your team with the best training possible? The answer to your woes is live online training from ACI Learning. With live online training, we provide our top in-person courses in private, online, instructor-led formats. You get to provide professional development in a manner that fits today's expectations. Entertaining, convenient, and effective. Our exam-aligned courses inspire the full potential of your team. Visit virtual instructor-led training at ACI Learning for more info. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to TechNado. Into some security news. We had enough of that tech news stuff. I mean, maybe you didn't. Maybe you could thirst for more. But for us, we're moving on to security news. Now, I know there's a quite a few of you out there that love that security news. I'm first and foremost chief of this right here. Uh, and today we got quite a few interesting articles going back into the one of the previous things that we have talked about from time to time. It just c- continues to breathe new life into it here is the old move it bug our next article comes from sc media it says move it bug tied to breach of up to <coughs> 11 million records via government contractor isn't that feel good i just kind of want to throw this out here it says that uh in a july 26 filing with the securities and exchange commission better known as the sec the company which is maximus said it anticipates to inform at least eight 
million to 11 million individuals that their personal information may have been compromised. Maximus provides health and human services uh, programs to state and local governments. I actually went and checked out the Maximus website, and they said, we are focused on the future of government. They have technology consulting services, customer services, future of health. So they dip into defense, homeland security, civilian and health. So they've got their tentacles in quite a few of the things that are kind of important to the infrastructure of, well, government and society. So it's a kind of a big deal that 8 to 11 million records were compromised to this Move It fiasco. Did I read that right? I thought that was a recording studio. What's that? 11M record. <laughs> yeah. yeah. 11 million. 11 million. Not yeah. good. Do, do your best. Like, yeah. Doctor oh, Evil, we got right? some Dr. Evil coming yeah, in here on a zero crazy. day, too, as well. Yeah. Supply chain attacks, man. They really yeah. kick in the butt, aren't yeah. they? Man. Gotta love these things. Well, what do you guys think about this? What's your, uh, what's your thoughts and opinions? Wow. <sighs> Not good. I went in and was researching the Move It software a little bit because I haven't done Technado's yep. uh, where you guys have talked about that. So I was looking at their software, researching them, and it's just always so sad. One of their foremost things is security, right? I mean, that's a key platform for them. Yes. This is a way to securely move your files for your customers. And sure enough, it leads to a brutal Breach. Man, you got to love when these kind of things happen. And, you know, this just goes to show you how difficult security is because it's really easy to just go, y you just were, you know, we caught you napping. You were sleeping on the job. You were doing taking the easy way out on something. Maybe they were probably not, though. Um, it's, it's, I don't know, if anybody of you out there have never tried to code a program, I would suggest you go give that a whirl for something even simple. And then enjoy all the difficulty that is involved in that happening. Justin, our, our good friend and ex-co-host here, uh, he told me one time, being a developer is kind of like being a boxer. And you win. You're the winning boxer. But here's how the, the match is going to go. You're going to get punched in the face 99 times. And then you get to throw one punch, but it's the winning punch. Yeah. And But you take a pretty vicious beating <laughs> getting to... The oh now my program works and everything is doing what I need to do. It's it's a definitely um, an exercise in frustration a lot of ways, and I found that to be absolutely true. Coding things is difficult, and definitely if you're trying to do it securely, it's really easy to step over and miss something. That's why we do security application or, or like um, static application security testing, dynamic application security testing, SAST and DAST, all that that code review to see. Have we missed something? You, we've got things that are now built into our our dev environments, like Copilot, that tells you, "Hey, I just oh, it's AI platform basically that's built in that's watching you code and going, oh, I see what you're doing there, and that is an insecure thing to do." There's a reason those things are coming up because it's really easy for me, us to make a mistake. So I don't want to, I don't want to kick, you know, the old Move It platform in the face while it's down too hard. That said. There are other options that I'm surprised that that move it was like as big as it was. Yeah. Um, because you have things like SFTP. You have SCP out there. Tried and true standards that we know work really well. They're not really difficult to work with. Uh, 
What say you guys? You guys worked with Move It at all or used uh, secured file transfers? Yeah. Oh, I've used secure file transfers, yeah. but uh, not in something this large. Yeah, for sure. Uh, I will give I'll give them credit to one thing. You know, um, so it's it looks like. Um, uh, the critical zero day was uh, May 31st, June 5th. So this mm-hmm. would have been six days later. There's a blog post by Progr- uh, Progress Software and the steps to mitigate within 48 hours of the disclosure. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that's so called, that, uh, that I like the due diligence. That, that uh, GDPR kicking in probably. Probably. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. Right. So I thought that was really cool. Right. Another interesting thing about this article, um, and it mentioned John Hammond, who I think you I do, personally friend of mine. know. Friend yeah. Of mine. Yeah. yeah, he was quoted in the article. But uh, how about how there's this new technique to make money where the computer criminals get the 11 million people's PII and then it's pay us or else or else yeah. so yeah. A, a it's new, like you know or somebody else will yeah, yeah. <laughs> well because they're like hey that's some nice data you got there. that's yeah. right that's be right. a shame yeah. if it were to make its way on that yeah. dark web there that harvesting <laughs> that can yeah. go on that amount of information is yeah yeah is yeah economical. now the article does say that the uh company which is uh i'm sorry what is it uh, maximus i'm sorry um uh, they are planning to spend 15 million dollars for the quarter ended uh, June on the total investigation and remediation activities related to this incident. So they did not walk away from this unscathed, not just the PR fiasco that it ends up being with 8 to 11 million records being possibly um, stolen, but uh, quite a financial hit, even though they're not experiencing any sanctions from any government bodies, uh, at least as of yet, not that I've read anyway, over this just just to clean up the mess alone is going to cost them $15 million. Now, I'm sure that they've got plenty of money, but I'm sure they didn't want to spend $15 million yeah. on a cleanup job. That's for sure. And, and then like the reputation said, loss. Right. Yeah. Right. Now you have to rebuild your reputation. That's right. That is a big financial loss, too, that might last you years. Well, move it. It's the gift that keeps on giving. So we're going to move it. Yeah, we'll move it. Move it right along <laughs> to our next article, which is about Canon printers from Ars Technica. Our favorite of all the Technicas. Uh, Canon warns printer users to manually wipe Wi-Fi settings before you discard it because it's a whole lot more difficult to reset those settings after you've discarded it. (laughs) And for the very fact that there might be some problems, some security issues that you need to be aware of uh, if you have discarded it and did not do some manual wiping, you boys read this article. What do you think about what's going on here? What what would you say the problem is here, yeah. gentlemen? Well, my favorite part of this article is what Canon tells you to do yeah. right? to properly dispose. You have to, you factory reset, then you go in and you manually delete the Wi-Fi settings. Then you have to like re-enable it. Then, so it's multi-steps. There's no yeah. one that would do it. There's no consumer that would go through the classic IT troubleshooting And, and wh- why is it that they are telling you to do those steps there, yeah. Anthony? What is the, why wouldn't you just do a reset? Yeah, exactly. But by the way, I have never disposed of a printer uh, outside of the office space method. Oh, you hit it with a ball bat. bat. Yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah. when my printer is finally time to well, be Well, at that point, I'm you're probably ready to that. beat it to death. Yeah. yeah, exactly. But anyways, this was, uh, this was... This is embarrassing for Canon. I mean, clearly a factory reset should do it. Right. And that's that that's the problem here, ladies and gentlemen. If you hadn't picked up on what we're putting down at this point in time, is that if you just do a factory reset, that actually does not remove your Wi-Fi settings, including your password. Uh yeah. which is what the problem is here. 
right? So if some enterprising young person might find a Canon printer on the side of the road near the trash can, they could pick it up easily and go, well, it probably goes with this house right here. They take it home. They look at the Wi-Fi settings. Now, obviously, that would be a very specific attack for God knows what reasons. But think of it more on an enterprise scale. If I see Wi-Fi-enabled printers, which most of them are nowadays, sitting next to a dumpster behind a, 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 a commercial building, chances are good that I could probably, and if they got cannons stamped on the outside, well, now we got ourselves a fun day at the beach yeah. here because those passwords might not be removed. And if I get my filthy little grubby little hands on them, well, you, you wouldn't have to be reusing those passwords anywhere else. That doesn't happen now, does it? Right? Right. Wes, I see you smirking over there. I'm sorry. This just goes right down to security training 101, data sanitization. Yeah. If you have information that you're using in a production environment and you are repurposing or decommissioning a device, you need to wipe it. Now, factory resets. Let's talk about that. Can't trust them. Why? Well, I can factory reset a Windows PC. Sure. But it doesn't overwrite all of the data that was on there before. Yeah. So right. the, I will yeah. factory reset something. It's just for me. You, you, I, whatever your security policy says. I factory reset and then I turn around and I put in that old Duke Nukem. Mm. Not Duke Nukem. <laughs> I swear to God I'm not playing video games. Yeah. I should be working. What's it? Uh, that doesn't happen. Uh, D-Band, I think it is. Uh, Duke Nukem and boot and whatever the boot um, oh. overwrite software. Yeah, I always know it's yeah. D-Band. Yeah. Aren't D-band. they trying to put, or is it Doom? That they're trying to yeah put yeah on, yeah they're like, yeah lamps and that's and, stuff. and, and yeah. that and that's why that's good but it, it's D band right yeah, it's yeah. Uh, Derek's boot and something nuke it's uh it's an overwriter right it it overwrites your uh your hard drive after a factory reset and it does it according to whatever that military DOD standard is too on how you many got a passes funny way of pronouncing thermite <laughs> yeah or a, a Anthony's repair kit yeah uh, philosophy just hit it with a baseball bat man now no, what you, you bring up a great point I I was immediately thinking of the home user but yeah I love that you take this to a corporate setting just as you did Daniel these yeah. old Canon machines are behind a business. So I love what you said there that that you teach in your classes, Wes, and it's so important, the proper decommissioning of devices. And you might not rely on a factory reset. And I also think that it's a lot to do with the people that we work with around here. Mm. So my first thought would be, how do I keep it out of this guy's hands if he was able in a reconnaissance attack? And I I don't mean that bad. No, no. But but. I need to protect against everything. Right. He only needs one. Right. Because we build a culture of security around sure. around the office. Sure. Exactly. Because so it's, we're we teach those things. Talking right. about it. Right. You and know. That, so my thought is, and again, you don't do things for nefarious and malicious purposes. But if I put on that hacker mindset, my thought is, how do I keep this out of somebody like Dan's hands, who looks at that and says, "Oh, there's potentially a gold mine in here, and if it's not accessible via the user interface that you can directly interact with." He'll break it apart and plug into a Dart interface yeah. or a UDART interface. UART. 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 One of those interfaces, right? <laughs> See, those interfaces that I don't know. And that's exactly my point right there. Yeah. So we want to make sure that we're doing we're, we're doing proper data sanitization. And, of course, like Dan says, the one of the funnest ones is if you completely melt the device. But I don't know. At the end of the day, I like uh, the old Louisville. Too. I do find it interesting as when you start thinking of attack vectors, right? Mm-hmm. How if, if I were targeting a certain entity, enterprise, corporate, whatever the case is, you know, what, what, are, what am I? Okay. Well, they've probably got a website. I might go that route. You know, I'm probably a social engineering attack with a fish or something like that. And maybe as an attacker, I don't think first thing out of my gate is, well, what do they got sitting in the dumpster? 
Yeah. You know, maybe I can get some good stuff. Maybe I do because dumpster diving is a, a very valid and useful technique, not just for hardware, but for written down passwords on uh, like day calendars and things like that. People discard all sorts of things that they shouldn't just throw in the trash that should have gone through a, a secure process of disregarding it. Right. But I'm, I'm almost guaranteeing most people that are inside the building that need to discard it don't think of that. They don't think my printer is going to be the linchpin that undoes our security. They're thinking our website, our network, our Wi-Fi, you know, all those standard avenues of attack. And this kind of gets put on the back burner of the back burner where your mind goes. This is not a standard avenue of attack to someone to go after my Wi-Fi password and then, oh, crap, we're reusing that password in multiple places. And that's where the problem comes in, right? Is you chain those things together where, okay, well, if I can go grab a, um, a printer that may have a Wi-Fi password on it and I'm able to extract that, or like you said earlier, if I can crack it open and I have access to a UART that has saved information in it and I can extract that information, well, now I'm, I might be in business because I can start seeing if they are reusing that or iterations of that. I'm using tools that are going to gonna munge that day. They're going to they're gonna modify it. They're going to mutate it. So to say, okay, well, yeah, it wasn't spring 2022, but we're sitting here in spring 2023. Maybe that's what we're looking at now, right? Maybe they just do that kind of thing. That never happens, right? Uh, yeah, it happens all the time. So it just I just thought it was interesting as an attack vector that people that are defending networks need to start thinking of every possible way. Yeah. And hopefully they don't bypass something as simple as, oh, we threw away a $200 printer not thinking that was going to have a password left. And, and to their defense, maybe even did a factory reset and thought, we're good. Well, they see, that's the other thing. They're, 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 they're relying on right. something that you would think would remove that information. Yeah. But here's, here's an aspect that we're not even talking about, decommissioning or recycling. What if I need to send that off for repair? It's true. You got to use a trusted third party. You'll have to have a trusted third party. And if I don't have a trusted third party, that information's in that memory. Yeah. Remember when Best Buy, the Geek Squad was getting hammered? Right. Absolutely. These techs were stealing people's data. Right. Using people's yep. information in a way that they shouldn't be using it. So don't tell me it doesn't happen. Right. Yeah. Um, and it, and I'm sure, Dan, with a security mindset, you're saying, no, it happens. I just, it's a matter of when it happens. Yeah. You that's know. about how it goes. So even, and, and that's, that's something that I liked about this article because you say, well, you thought of it from a home users. You didn't think it from the enterprise. I didn't think of it from the repair aspect. Yeah. Yep. Well, I sent, I, I don't care if you're a home user, if you're a, a corporation, I send this over to a repair company. I don't think about that. Like the factory reset, I'm putting my trust in that. I'm putting my trust into that person to offer me a service, not thinking that if they wanted to, they could maybe plug into that memory and find all that yeah. information and now they could use it. I would bet a majority of IT personnel wouldn't factory reset when sending in for a repair. I wouldn't think of the, yeah, to do that. It probably wouldn't I wouldn't have thought that. to nope. do that at all. Yep. And, and apparently it wouldn't matter. Yeah. <laughs> You're right. Yeah. That's right. You're going to go through some. <laughs> right? Yeah, it's, That's it's like playing a weird game of Twister with settings. To, okay, I got to hold this down. and Wait, we've got cows. Yeah, yeah. Uh, they got to start over. <laughs> they got to start over. Yeah. Now, speaking of crazy attack vectors that you probably aren't thinking of, let's move on to our next article, which comes from the Hacker News. New deep learning attack deciphers laptop keystrokes with, you ready, 95% accuracy. Man, AI has made our lives very 
very interesting lately. I think they're slacking. It could have been 100%. Yeah, yeah. Just uh, give them time. Give them time. They're working on it, Wes. <laughs> no one's perfect out of the gate. No one bats a thousand. So it says a group of academics has devised a deep learning-based acoustic side channel attack. <clears throat> side channel attacks, they are fun. And they can be used to classify laptop keystrokes that are recorded using a nearby phone with 95% accuracy. Quote, when trained on keystrokes recorded using the uh, video conferencing software Zoom, an accuracy of 93% was achieved, a new best for the medium. Researchers, and it goes on to tell you who these researchers are. I actually read the, uh, the paper they published. It was very interesting, very technical, uh, getting into you know uh, waveforms and all the different things that goes on. But just the idea that I've got a phone sitting. Uh, so here, here's the scenario, right? It's Sicily, 1923. I call Wes. And I say, hey, Wes, let's do a Zoom meeting. And then you set your phone down. I'm going to talk you through something. And you, I want you to open your laptop and do this and do that. And the whole time I'm recording our conversation. Well, that microphone is sensitive enough to pick up the keystrokes that happens. And those little ticky taps are picked up by my AI my AI is then able to discern what keys Wes is tapping if I know the make and model of his laptop. Or I can discern what the make and model of his laptop are based off of doing comparative research. Or, or, or uh, um, I'm comparing the two, uh, what I already have, to what I just uh, pulled from Wes. Kind of like a baseline and what's, the, what's anomalous right. to that baseline. And then I look and I see, uh, does, does any of these keystrokes look like any of the keystrokes I already know? Mm -hmm. If they match up and... Uh, then, oh, I'm going to say that's a MacBook Pro version blank. And with 93% accuracy, I'm going to get it right. That's a little crazy. Talk, and like I said, talk about weird attack vectors. What do you guys uh, What do you think about side channel attacks? I think this is absolutely amazing. I mean, I was like, what are we talking about? Quantum mechanics here? I don't even understand. I don't understand that. <laughs> but they talk about runtime run behavior, the power consumption. Yeah. How much power you're utilizing means your CPU must be chewing away or the GPU might be chewing away. So you must be doing something, obviously, that requires calculations. That's insane. I will tell you one of the things that I would be first asking you on that phone call is how you got a cell phone to work in 1923. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, Wes, that's neither here nor there. Just start tapping your password, would you? <laughs> it reminds me of this scene in the outtake. Plus, we're both 100 years old. <laughs> I know. It reminds me of the scene I've seen in this movie, Life, with uh, Eddie Murphy and Mar uh, Martin Lawrence. And uh, <laughs> he left his phone on and... Uh, uh, in one of the shoots and they're in this model t yeah. and his phone rings and he stays in character he's like i told you never to call me on this phone it's 1923 there ain't <laughs> supposed to be cell phones yet and he goes back in character <laughs> uh, but yeah just uh, reading some of this stuff all what is it I, I don't even know how to pronounce it electromagnetic radiation yep yeah uh, you know just what <laughs> Dude, so from what what i've uh studied about side channel attacks like one of the first ones if not the first one was through a machine uh, a computer that the U.S. government was using during World War II, this uh, researcher discovered that there was an EM spike that he could detect on an oscilloscope every time the machine did like a reset or something. And he could do it from up to like 80 feet away. He could still detect this, this spike. And based off of that spike, he could tell certain things were happening. And he mentioned it to the uppers, and they were like, whatever, no big deal. He was like, oh, really? So he got a team of his friends, and they, like, rented out a, uh, like, an office building across the street from where they were at on the military ins installation. And they were reading those, and they could decipher encrypted communications based off of what they were seeing from the EM 
radiation coming from the grinding and whirring of this machine. And then they went, so yeah, we were across the street, and this is what we got. And they went, oh. Maybe we should pay attention. That seems like a problem. So they made it a policy that uh, all military installations had to have a 100-feet buffer from any other building that wasn't inside the gates. Wow. So wherever those machines had to be, had to be 100 feet of a buffer between the the fence and any other building. Sure. And this isn't sci-fi here, right? No. You know, because I definitely heard, I think you guys have mentioned it on other Technado episodes in the past where it was like they could start to read what somebody was um, looking at on their computer just based by how it, the, the monitor was radiating energy off of it. Yeah. How so it's it Tempest. Tempest. Tempest is the, so the, the U.S. government, NSA, started devising ways, I think it was in the 60s, to read the radiation coming off of like monitors, right? And they were able to recreate what was on the screen from a distance based off of the radiation. Of course, we can also hear the CPUs uh, uh, whirring and grinding and doing their things, basically flipping switches, using voltage, voltage up and voltage down. They can hear that using telephone microphones or say telephones, your cell phone, right? Telephone. Those, those are, are um, uh, sensitive enough to pick those up and be able to, to use them. Of course, EM radiation as well. But this is called uh, acoustic emanations because this is actually and is one of the more fringe side channel attacks. People tend to not think of it because who's going to pick up acoustic? I'm, ty- I'm typing. Right. Yeah. But now you got a cell phone within proximity of just about everything, right? So if I can get that cell phone working where I can pick up like, hey, let's do a Zoom call. Now I can record what your tickety taps are doing and use that as a baseline and figure out what tickety taps are you actually doing. Absolutely. And that's what it says. 36 MacBook Pros, yep. they, they tested 25 times in a row, varying the pressure and the fingering that they were using, and they were still able to get it with 93% accuracy. I love the mitigations, yeah. the recommended mitigations. The I, first one. Type in a different style, like so. That's yeah. not really possible. Oh, they the they definitely human. tell my wife they would hear her typing from two cubes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. She's, like, like, she's angry. Like it, it owes her money. What did it do to you, man? <laughs> Where's then, my money? Stupid <laughs> and then the other mitigation that would also be tough, right? Adding randomly generated false keystrokes. So that's an old school method. It's called masking. Yeah. Right. So okay. using sounds that are similar so obfuscating to the obfuscate under... the actual huh. typing. Yeah. Interesting. So maybe you just like start a recording of, of yeah. you know a, a typing. <laughs> well, they do this on YouTube all the time. To over to to over, if you think about it, you've yeah. seen it happen and to overcome copyright violations. Mm. So they it doesn't speed, get picked up by the algorithm. They speed up. They speed up a uh, recording right. by 025 percent. Yep. It doesn't match the baseline. Uh, so it's not considered anomalous back to your point yep and and the algorithm doesn't pick it up and that's why you'll find these where the how how can they run a full-length movie in youtube and you're not paying anybody yeah because they got a time stamp on it yep that time stamp now visually can be run through the algorithm because it match it differs from what the original movie is the algorithm doesn't pick it up that's right so we already see that in place it's just interesting my my the lights just went light bulb just went off i'm like wait we're already seeing that yep yeah you know just maybe in a different application that's right so very cool i love side channel attacks just because they don't get a lot of they don't get a lot of love right but they're they're super cool i've seen things like data exfiltration through air gap systems where the device was inside of a faraday cage tell me how that works 
crazy. It was witchcraft is what it is. So really cool stuff, very highly technical stuff, and not stuff that we as as uh, average everyday people get to kind of play around with. But apparently it's becoming more and more available and accessible to the average security person, and therefore it's going to be accessible more to the average attacker out there. So it is something we need to kind of keep our our, our, our little heads together on and make sure that we think about when it comes to, okay, I want to take a look at my attack surface. What is it? Well, don't forget about those acoustic emanations. Yeah. Right? Well, we've learned a lot today. Security was fun. Obviously, the one thing we did learn today is that security is really hard to do <laughs> because there are various and sundry different crazy ways in which those attackers out there will get a hold of stuff. That said, we are done with the Technado. Hopefully you've enjoyed it. I know I sure did. Don't forget about ACI Learning, the sponsors of the Technado. Go check out ACI Learning for your training needs and learn a little bit about this stuff. We all teach these uh, topics and different types of things in all of our, our training uh, offerings for you out there. It's a really cool Technado 30. will get you that 30% off. So make sure you, if you're going to sign up for that, use that Technado 30. It's it's there. It's just waiting. You just got to pick it up and use it. doesn't cost you nothing. Good stuff. That said, we're going to call it a day. Thanks, boys, for joining us, and thank you for watching. Until next time, have a great day.